You're listening to South Asia Sphere from Himal South Asia, a bi-weekly roundup of what's been happening across South Asia. This episode was recorded on the 6th of March 2023. Hi everyone and welcome to South Asia Sphere, our fortnightly roundup of news events and regional affairs. I'm Raisa and I'm joined by my colleague and fact-checker and researcher Saheli. Hi Saheli. Hi Raisa. So this week for our big stories, we're unpacking the assembly elections and by-election results in India and examining growing trepidation in Bangladesh about a 2017 deal signed between the Bangladesh Power Development Board and the Adani Group in light of recent investigative reports. In around South Asia in 5 minutes, we're talking about the closure of the Dainik Dinkal newspaper in Bangladesh, Pakistan's economic precipice and a recent loan from China that's brought the country some time. Shifts in the Nepali ruling coalition requiring a second vote of confidence for Prime Minister Pushpa Kamal Dahal, a new report on forced demolitions, arbitrary detention and torture in Tibet, and the Delhi High Court upholding the Agnipati scheme. For bookmarked, we'll be talking about Prasanna Vitanage's Gadi. Let's begin with the election results. 14th Nagaland Legislative Assembly nimitte 184 candidates to bar contest krishe spicyar Congress vetpalar EVKS Silamkovanin vetri murudi anadu Tamil Nadu muruvadum kootani katchiyinar urchaga kondattam On the 2nd of March election results were announced for assembly elections in Nagaland Tripura and Meghalaya while vote counting began for by elections in Arunachal Pradesh Jharkhand West Bengal, Tamil Nadu and Maharashtra. In the northeast, exit polls predicted wins for BJP in Nagaland and Tripura, mostly because of their alliances with the Nationalist Democratic Progressive Party and the Indigenous People's Front of Tripura respectively, with Meghalaya being more closely fought due to the major parties contesting separately. The polls proved to be accurate. In Nagaland almost all parties extended their support to the BJP NDPP alliance with the coalition winning 37 seats in the 60 member house. In Tripura the BJP IFTT alliance won 33 seats with the Tipramotha bagging 13 seats and the Left Congress alliance 14 seats. In Meghalaya the BJP have said they'll align with the National People's Party in order to form a government. Analysts noted that BJP had been dismissed in the northeast less than a decade ago but now led an important role in the region's politics. However, it's important to note that the BJP won less seats compared to the last election in 2018 and they also saw a slight drop in vote share. The rise of the Tipramotha party in Tripura is also interesting and it shows how regional parties continue to shape national politics. In the south of India, All eyes were on Tamil Nadu where the contest was mainly between Congress candidate EVKS Elangavan who is contesting with the DMK's support and AIA DMK's Tennarasu with a total of 77 candidates from different political affiliations it was a stiff contest but Elangavan emerged as the clear winner BJP won in Arunachal Pradesh and in Chinchwad Pune but lost their stronghold in Kasparpet to Congress This marks the first time Congress has won the Kasparpet seat 
in 30 years. In Jharkhand, the BJP-backed AJSU won in the Ramgabai polls. In Sadar Degi, West Bengal, Congress candidate Bairam Biswas polled the most votes, ending the 13-year Trinamool Congress regime in the area. In general, TMC's plans to expand beyond West Bengal faced a little bit of a setback as it was unable to win seats in Tripura and won just five seats in Meghalaya. In Bangladesh, there's growing consternation over the country's ties with the Indian Adani Group. The Daily Star reported that a 2017 deal between the Bangladesh Power Development Board and the Adani Group, uh, which included a contract to build a coal power plant in Jharkhand, that would then supply power to Bangladesh, was deeply lopsided. Once it comes into operation next month, Bangladesh is going to essentially be paying Adani taxes while Adani saves costs. It's estimated that Adani is going to save as much as 1 billion US dollars thanks to it being declared a special economic zone as part of the agreement. It'll also save on things like import duties, and Bangladesh will be forced to honour the agreement even if Adani breaches its contract. Now, the Daily Star notes that this whole deal can be seen as a gift to Adani and is all thanks to the group's close ties with Indian Prime Minister Modi. On this, a recent Al Jazeera report found that Modi had gone out of his way to make an exception for the Adani group, allowing the group to mine from a block holding more than 450 million tonnes of coal in one of India's densest forest patches. This happened after it was found that coal blocks were being illegally allocated to state government-owned companies, who in turn were handing over the mining to private companies in secret contracts. In 2014, the Supreme Court cancelled allocations to 204 coal blocks, but Adani's mining activities continued unfettered. This is particularly ironic as Modi rose to power in 2014 on an anti-corruption wave, and singled out the Congress party for its corruption and crony capitalism in handing out coal blocks to private companies. So this is an issue that has a long history and across political parties. We've published a piece on corruption in Bangladesh's energy sector, so do check that out in the episode notes. And now for our next segment, Around South Asia in 5 Minutes. In Bangladesh, there have been rallies to protect the closure of the Dainik Dinkal newspaper published by the Bangladesh Nationalist Party. Critics say this is only the latest move by Sheikh Hasina's government to crush political dissent. Dhaka district authorities ordered the paper to close in December, but the publication appealed to the press council, which upheld the ruling. Now, the council said that the paper's publisher, Tariq Rahman, the acting chief of BNP, was violating printing laws as he was based outside the country and wanted on criminal charges. Rahman says that he appointed a new publisher, which the press council doesn't accept. Hasina's government has repeatedly arrested BNP members. And it's key to note that there have recently been a string of rallies piggybacking of public discontent on the economic crisis and leading up to elections in 2024. So these factors undoubtedly played a role in the closure of the newspaper. 
We did publish a piece recently on the BNP fighting to make a political comeback for Himal Briggs. So do check that out in the episode notes. Meanwhile, while Pakistan teeters on the economic precipice as it awaits the release of IMF funds, the rupee fell to a record low of 284 per US dollar on the 2nd of March after interest rate hikes announced by Pakistan's central bank. China Development Bank has agreed to loan Pakistan USD 700 million to weather the economic storm, raising concerns as Pakistan already owes China and Chinese commercial banks USD 30 billion. In total, Pakistan owes around USD 100 billion, meaning it owes China just under a third of its overall debt. But China remains Pakistan's single largest creditor and tends to charge a relatively high interest rate. This is similar to the situation in Sri Lanka, which is also awaiting IMF funding amid reports that China is reluctant to restructure its debt, instead offering Sri Lanka a two-year debt moratorium. News of the loan came a day after Pakistan's National Assembly passed a bill to increase tax revenue, a key condition for unlocking IMF funding. In January, we hosted a South Asian conversation on debt restructuring. that included perspectives from Pakistan and Sri Lanka so do revisit that and look out for it in the episode notes free tibet and tibet watch released a report on forced demolitions torture and arbitrary detention in drago country tibet between october 2021 and june 2022 the report kind of recounts the demolition of a buddhist school in sengdeng village which also taught tibetan english and chinese now residents were forced to demolish the school themselves tibetans were also forced to demolish two giant buddha statues and prayer wheels by chinese officials those who objected to the demolitions were detained in a reeducation center that hadn't been identified before where they were subject to torture In India, the Delhi High Court upheld the validity of the Agnipati short-term military recruitment scheme, which allows for the recruitment of between 45,000 and 50,000 soldiers between 17 and 21 years to the armed forces a year. Only 25% of those recruited will be allowed to continue for another 15 years, which has led to concerns about rising unemployment. The government's reasoning is that they want to make the permanent forces much leaner. In dismissing the pleas to revert to an earlier scheme, the High Court said the Agnipati scheme was in the national interest. Nepal's Prime Minister Pushpa Kamal Dahal faces a second vote of confidence after the CPNUML pulled out of the governing coalition as Dahal decided to back the Congress candidate for presidential elections. which was slated to be held March 9th. Now, the coalition was always on shaky ground as Dahal joined the CPN-UML, mainly because Congress didn't back him to get the Prime Minister post first as per their earlier agreement. He's probably still got the majority in Parliament, as Congress is likely to back him now, but he will have to take up the vote of confidence again um, according to Nepal's constitution, and that may delay the presidential polls. The changeover also impacted the UNHRC delegation flying to Geneva with Foreign Minister Bimala Rai Poudyal being asked not to fly at the last minute as the CPNUML was pulling out of the governing alliance. 
On the agenda at the UNHRC session was justice for insurgency-era atrocities through a legal amendment to the Enforced Disappearances Inquiry, Truth and Reconciliation Commission Act, which initially drew controversy as it allowed for amnesty for serious crimes, including murder. Nepal promised to change this, but victims, including the Conflict Victims Common Platform, said they were sceptical of government commitments. Do check out our recently published edition of Himal Briefs on the plot twist that led to Dahal gaining the Prime Minister post in the episode notes. And now for our next segment, Bookmarked. Saheli, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I do. So this episode, I'd like to talk about Gadi, directed by Prasanna Vitanage, which is currently screening in Sri Lankan cinemas. Gadi is set in 1814 at a time of shifting power. Um, the movie opens with a conversation between British governor John Doyley and Ahalapola Adiga, a courtier, where they are negotiating for the deposal of the king, Sri Vikramaraja Singha, who is resented by Ahalapala and others for his ties to South India. But this film is notable because it focuses on caste oppression through the fate of one family, who are forced to choose between death and marrying into a lower caste, a choice which apparently does have some basis in historical fact, although the film doesn't exactly mirror historical events. The film looks at the roots of caste discrimination during that period, and in that sense presents a slightly different story than the nationalistic stories that are often told about this period. Yeah, I um I watched it recently as well and I think the scene that I kept returning to was there's this one scene where there's like a bridge and the family who is kind of asked to jump off it and choose either death or to marry somebody in the Rodia cast. And, you know, in that scene Irangani Sarah Singh was such an iconic actress. She's kind of so noble and dignified as she kind of goes to her death. But then you realize that these people are choosing this rather than, you know, marrying somebody of the Rodia caste. So the caste discrimination is just so ingrained that most of them choose death rather than, you know, to lower their own status. Um, I did think, though, that like it could have delved a lot deeper into the caste discrimination aspect. At the end, also, if I remember correctly, uh, before the credits, they say that once the British kind of came in and colonial rule began, that the caste system ended, which is most definitely not true. And you see aspects of it kind of perpetuating even today. I mean, for example, I was thinking when I was watching that you could argue that even, for example, the Rajapaksa family, in the way that in their campaigns, they um, at least mind the centered farming and you know always talks about himself as the son of the soil 
um, does link back to him being from the Govigama caste. And that's something that family, including the sons, have always foregrounded in their political campaignings, which shows that caste does continue in the present day. So I did think that, you know, it could go a lot deeper into that. And there was also some criticism, I think, that the characters never transcended their caste. The princess called Tikiri, she never really gels with the person that she ends up marrying. And that's because I think that kind of mindset is just so ingrained, perhaps, um, that she can't break out of it. But what I found interesting is there's this part where at the beginning, he when he's like stealing things to help them fend for herself, fend for her as well, um, she kind of almost looks like she expects it to happen and she doesn't react. But the way she treats him shows that she still very much considers herself to be above him. Um, and at the end, when he's like helping another king to escape and he like hands back the money that they drop, that's only when she looks at him with a little bit of respect and she kind of, at the end, which I'm not sure about, decides that she's going to help him and she's going to accept him and continue the survival of the tribe. So I was a bit torn in that. I feel like it was reinforcing those discriminations in some ways and it could have gone deeper into that. Um, but I think it's a good starting conversation and I hope that there's more films that tackle this and like tackle this from a historical perspective. Um, we will be linking the trailer in the episode notes, so do check out for that. And on that note, that's it for this edition of South Asia's Film. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to South Asia Sphere. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Himal South Asian social media channels to make sure you don't miss the next episode. Head to our website, himalmag.com, to see more of Himal's work. And please support our work by becoming a member. Check out our membership plans at himalmag.com slash membership.